That's great news, isn't it? Lots of people getting baptized with more scheduled yet in the days ahead. So uh, congratulations to all those people. We'll keep everybody informed and uh, see everybody, what everybody discovers in the days ahead as we... I just want to say this. First Christian Church, thanks for telling your friends, your family members, your neighborhood about Jesus Christ and the responses that we get to see people make a commitment to Christ. It's all really good stuff. So welcome again to First Christian Church, uh, both here in the West and also those of you joining us in the East Auditorium. I'm very glad that you're participating in the life of our church today. And guests, let me, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and uh, it's an honor to have you with us. I'd invite you to take your Bible, please, today. Or take a Bible, take, um, maybe you have it on your smartphone, whatever the case. Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going to look. It looks like about this, okay, really far into the Bible. And uh, there's some Bibles in the Purak here in this West Auditorium in the East. There are some folk moving around to give you one right now. And if you don't own a Bible, by the way, we have some Bibles that you can, we have a Bible you could take. Go to the Welcome Center and uh, we'll be glad to give that to you, all right? So while you're looking for Ephesians chapter 3, I want to tell you two stories today uh, in the context of my message, both of them about a man named Smith, but two different men named Smith. As a matter of fact, I'll start with one story about a fellow named Smith that began in 1985. That's the year I began pastoral ministry, July 1985, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 44th Street Christian Church. When we had 40 people on a Sunday, that was a big attendance in those days, and I was 27 years old. And there was an older man in the church that introduced himself to me within the first week. His name was Joe Smith. He was well into his 80s, and um, uh, he, he said to me, right off the bat, it's nice to meet you. Uh, you need to meet all the people in the church. You need to visit everyone's house. I know everyone is, and uh, you need to particularly meet the shut-ins, so I'm going to introduce you to everybody. Well, that's great. We're going to do it at 2 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. Okay, that's cool. And since I know my way around the community, I'm driving. Now, I was, in retrospect, him taking me around to visit everybody was a really good idea. Uh, you know, doing it at 2 o'clock Tuesday afternoon was fine. The driving part, not so good. He'd had a stroke a number of years previously, and... Um, he couldn't turn his head to the right. So that presented some problems when we came to four-way stops or to stop signs, and you have to wait for the traffic. I mean, he'd, I, I, he'd drive, it was a bench seat, and I'd be sitting in the passenger seat, buckled in really tight, trust me, buckled in. And he'd say, Wayne, is there anybody coming from the right? Well, I'd learned pretty quickly that when he'd had this stroke, it had affected his ability to turn this, to move this arm very quickly. So he kind of did everything with this hand and held. And then his foot didn't work so well on the accelerator or the brake, might I add. And that when he said, is everything all right? If we were going to go through the intersection, we were going to kind of just meander through the intersection, particularly if we were turning left. So is there anything coming from the right? And I'd look, is there a car within half a mile? I mean, it has to be way down the road. If it's anywhere close, no, you can't go, Joe. You can't go because it's going to take us a mile and a half of driving, if you will, to, for that other car for us to get through the intersection. <laughs> We'd be driving down the street in the neighborhood after made it through the intersection. 
And I'd be sitting in the passenger seat and there'd be a parked car on our, our side of the road coming up. And I'd see that parked car getting closer and closer. And I'm thinking, we're going to hit it. We're going to hit it. And I'd be pushing against the buckle trying, can I move across the bench seat real quickly because it's on my side. And we'd get to that car and at the very last minute he'd go like this and we'd sidle past that car and it'd be about that far away. You know why? Because as we got closer and closer to the car, I could see the mirror on that other car. And it would get closer and closer. And I would see my own horrified face pass by like that. <laughs> Joe says, Wayne, we need to do this. Two reasons. One, you need to meet everybody in the church. And we went to everybody in the church. And then secondly, uh, I, I want to see all my lady friends. And we visited the single elderly ladies over and over and over again. I said, what do you mean? He says, I want to see all my lady friends and it would be very inappropriate for me to go to their house by, the, by, by myself. So you're coming along. So we did that over and over. And I get it. I needed help in ministry. He needed, he needed help with his romantic life or something or other. So, so there we were. I have often thought about that as I realize I need to sit often in the passenger seat of people who know how to drive a church through the leadership neighborhood, evaluating ministries and uh, different approaches and different viewpoints. And now and then, sometimes as a church, we'll come up on a setting and I think, man, this could go badly. We could crash badly. And we're, gonna, we're coming up and, we're, and that car is right in front of us and it seems at the last minute we're doing this and we sidle right on by. But I've learned this. If I sit still, if um, I let the Holy Spirit, the teacher, the map maker guide us, we'll get through the neighborhood that's in front of us and we'll get to a new destination. And we won't see a horrified look in that mirror as it goes by. Today, I'm telling you of a, new, of a new destination for our church. As a congregation, we're about to visit some new places, some new ministries, some new ideas. And it's going to require some new prayer points on everyone's behalf. And to that end, if we're going to think about us as a congregation praying about new days, I'm mindful that we should look at Scripture Let's look there, perhaps. That'd be a good place to go, right? And, and find out, how does the Apostle Paul, okay, the, great, the, the premier theologian of the New Testament, the missionary extraordinaire of, the, of Jesus' day and beyond, what, how did he pray, and what could we learn from him? And so if we're going to have a framework for a prayer for some new days, let's look to see what he did. So we're going to read in Ephesus chapter 3, beginning at verse 17. And uh, Paul has been the pastor at Ephesus, and he's writing to his congregation there. But as we read through this, we'll realize it's not just to his congregation, but he's actually writing to us. Beginning in verse 17, we read this. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, so you guys loving each other, okay? I pray you'll have power what kind of power? I pray you'd have power together with all of the Lord's holy people. Everybody, all right? All of you would have power to do what? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, if we wanted to take time today, we could unpack all of that about how we could experience all that God has for us, that, that his prayers, that we would have, we would have a good grasp of how the dimensions of Christ's love, how deep it is, how wide it is, long, and the, all the dimensions there. 
We could spend some time looking at what does it mean to be God's holy people working together. There's lots we, we could, dis, could discuss. But I'd like to, uh, for today, point out the final uh, goal of his prayer. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church, to that God, the God who can do more than we could ever guess, the more could we ever we conjure up, all we could imagine, to that God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. What's the final goal of his prayer? What is the, in the long run, what is it that he wants all generations to experience if his prayer is going to be answered? He wants the power of God to accomplish more than could be imagined for the sake of God's glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. For all generations. And that includes this generation. This isn't just a prayer for that ancient world and the, the church at Ephesus. This is a prayer for every generation that we are to thrive. And that thriving then includes me. It includes you. It includes this congregation that we serve. He prayed that our generation's Christians would see more than we can imagine. And if that's the case, that he prayed that for us, then suddenly you and I, we have a responsibility to never settle for what has already been done or already been accomplished because we've already done that. But if you want to go beyond our imagination, you've got to step into some new things because what we've already done and what we've already seen in our lives, that's already taken place. That's no longer imagination. That's fact. But what would God want to do beyond what we can think about? Paul prayed for us. He prayed that we would thrive. He prayed that we would do more than what we can imagine for the sake of his glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And I got to tell you, friends, that, that thought has been a driving um, force in my life for years. As a matter of fact, I was 20 years old. I wasn't even in pastoral ministry. And long story short, I memorized all of Ephesians. And in doing so, that particular scripture just kind of came alive. And ever since I've been going, man, how could I have God work through me or through the congregation I serve at present? How, how, could, how could we work so that God would do more than we would ever have imagined? And I've learned in the process in those years, I've learned the answer to Paul's prayer, at least in part. I've learned it through this congregation that in light of Paul's prayer, in light of that, I've learned that this congregation is willing to take on new challenges as God brings them to us. We strive to thrive. Even when it's risky, when it's scary, we go, man, how are we going to do this? In that regard, I'm reminded of some stories from the scriptures. Like, for example, going back from today about 3,500 years, there's a guy by the name of Joshua. Maybe you know his story. He was, um, he was the right-hand dude to... Um, a fellow by the name of Moses. Moses had come to the people of Israel, and the people of Israel, the Jewish people, uh, probably about a million of them, he said to them, hey, we've been in slavery here in Egypt for the last 400 years. We should do something to get out of this slavery. And so he arranged for them to be released, and they said, we're going to go to the promised land. Abraham had heard from God generations before that the Israelites were going to have a promised land, where we call modern-day Israel, and that they were going to get to go there. And he appoints Joshua as the right-hand guy who's going to be the military man who makes it all happen, the number two guy in the country, if you will. And they get all the way right up to the promised land, 
And you know what happens? On the cusp of moving into the promised land, guess what happens to Moses? He dies. And Joshua is left holding the baton and goes, man, how am I going to do this? This wasn't my job. And yet, he goes to God, and God says, hey, I want you to be bold and courageous. And uh, you're to lead your nation now into a new land, into a new vision. And he said to the nation, will you risk with me? And will you pray? And then we will move. And he said, we'll move into the promised land. And in order to do that, they had to cross the Jordan River. And the Jordan River was a natural boundary between where they were and the new place. And they're going, we can't get across. I mean, they, they didn't have pontoon bridges like we could use these days. And Joshua goes to God and says, what am I going to do? And God says, I want you to start walking in the water and see what happens. And so the priests of the nation, the religious leaders, they, they get together and they walk into the water together. And as the water comes, you know, kind of up to their ankles, you know what happened? The river stopped flowing. It literally dammed itself up and the whole nation, a million strong, walk across the riverbed on dry land. They had to expect and believe that God was going to do something. And we're about to step, to step into a river here at First Christian Church that, I'll tell you, friends, we're going to have to believe that God's going to work in it. And um, just as God worked in the lives of the people under Joshua, that God will work in our lives as well. Because um, it's going to require that we expect God to work through us if we're going to be the answer to the prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed. If we're going to see our congregation thrive, uh, we're going to have to step into this. And uh, so you go, Wayne, this is a really long introduction to something that's coming. Well, yeah, actually, I've been introducing this since January. Here's what I have. What's in store? Something very novel, very unexpected. I'm going to ask you for money. Seriously. You recall that back in January, we said that we we're going to have a capital campaign starting in May. Here we are at May. Can you believe it's May already? Here we go. The campaign's called Thrive. And the bottom line is that Thrive is to help other churches thrive through how we thrive at First Christian Church. Wayne, what's that mean? Well, I want you to see a photo of a building that was used by our congregation from 1913 to 1996. Our church's history goes all the way back to 1834. But in 1930, 1913, on North Church Street, and the building is still there. It's still occupied by another congregation now. We, uh, we, the congregation built a building in 1913, and we left that building in, building in 1996. The stained glass window here, that's from that building here in the West Auditorium. And uh, it wasn't a very large building, had 18,000 square feet, all right? This building has more than 70,000 square feet right now. So, um, but it had 18,000 square feet with a strip of grass about 12 feet wide all the way. We had no parking. And... Um, it became apparent as we began to grow in the, in the early 1990s that that building would not meet our ministry needs or aspirations. And so we moved out here in 1996. We went from 18,000 square feet to originally 34,000 square feet. We had four and a half acres. It seemed huge at the time. Like it's, it's less than half of the kind of acreage we have now and less than half of the size of the building we have now. But um, it was really, really big in that, at that point. And um, we took a huge risk when we moved. We had $400,000 in the bank. We'd saved up for a number of years. We had $400,000 in the bank. And the building cost $1.9 million. And we, so we mortgaged $1.5 million. And I got to tell you, friends, it was huge given that we had, oh, when we came out here, maybe 250 in worship, less than 300 each, each Sunday. And uh, 
Some of the things we did in the building, I, at the time, I thought some of them were a little bit over the top. Uh, for example, we put in the kitchen, and I, I assumed that we would do dishes in the kitchen here like we did dishes downtown. Like everybody does dishes, right? You have a gathering of the church, and everybody goes in the kitchen afterwards, and they wash dishes, and they wipe, and they, you know, dry dishes. Mm-mm, that wasn't what the plan was. I, I, there were some ladies on the, um, on the building team. As a matter of fact, Hanson's, your, your, your mother was one of them. Wherever, Eleanor was one of them back there, okay? Eleanor was one of them, and, and the, her granddaughter got baptized today. And Eleanor and a few other people said, we're putting a dishwasher, a commercial dishwasher, in the new kitchen. I'm going, what? It's going to cost $11,000. And I said, we're shooting for every penny we can save. And those ladies said, Wayne Kent. We are putting a dishwasher, a commercial dishwasher, in the kitchen. In the long run, it cost us $8,000. And um, here's what they could see that I wasn't seeing at the time. That as the church was going to thrive, they could see that the idea of washing dishes by hand was going to become more and more complicated simply due to the numbers of people. And (laughs) every day that I walk into the kitchen here, I see that dishwasher and I go, in my mind, we were going to pay $11,000 for a piece of stainless steel. But in the eyes of those ladies, we were going to pay $8,000 for doing ministry in way better new ways. And every time I go in the kitchen, I go, Wayne, you were dead wrong. They were right. It's not the only time I've been wrong, by the way. I've been wrong one other time this year, so I've been twice now. But people showed up over and over and over again. And um, I, like we moved into this West Auditorium. It was the only auditorium at the time. And we assumed that we'd be in this room for five years. We, we, we said, we're not going to spend a lot of money in this room. The goal in the long run is to build a really nice permanent sanctuary sp- and worship space. But once we were here, um, thriving for us meant a change to that plan. Each time we came close to building a larger auditorium of some sort, um, a new ministry would rise up and we'd say, well, let's meet that need. Those people or that situation is more important than us building a new big building. And I suppose one, at some point in the future we will, but we've come to the habit of saying, well, let's add staff and let's pay attention to that ministry need and we'll just keep adding worship times and we can reuse this space over and over again. And so we went from one service and we, I mean, we, we, we had room here in the West Auditorium with lots of room left over in the early days. And, and, and then let's add a second worship service. And then that's a third. Then we went a fourth. Then we went to two, two temporary auditoriums, and both here in the West and those who are in the East. Both rooms are still in the headspace. There are still temporary auditoriums where we're saying, okay, but there are other needs that are more important right now. And there may be a time in the future when we build again. But for now, let's keep taking care of people. And so we've gone from one worship services to five worship services in two auditoriums. And in the process, God has added to our congregation and we've taken on new ministries, usually outside this physical space. You know, we, we say, what can we do for the lives of people away from First Christian Church, whether it be Parsons School or the Arts Academy? You know, we have staff in the school every day or the Arts Academy. We had 160 kids this year, taking, 60 kids taking piano lessons and and painting and drawing and dancing and culinary and all of it paid for by the church. And then, or I work in the park district at Monroe Park or um, the neighborhood south of DMH, what we call the block. Or what's really cool is what we're doing with the chaplaincy program. That 
all the chaplains at Decatur Memorial Hospital and Crossing, did you know you as a congregation pay their salaries? That's our congregation reaching into that whole. Now, it's not just for people who are vis when visiting from our congregation. I'm talking about 24-7 at the hospital and during the day at the, at the clinic. And so you fund all that. Thank you. And I, I've looked around across the country for a model where a church has done that in a community like ours. Can't find it. So you say, you know, we stepped into that river four years ago, and I didn't know if we knew how to do it, but we said, God, is this possible? And look what's been the result. The result is... Last year, catch this, last year, last year the chaplains had prayer with 22,000 different people. Is that remarkable? Ab I mean, think, think about that. We, we gather on a regular basis, we pray with one another, but 22,000 people were touched by the life of this church, all right? So we've, we've kind of come to that understanding that we do things and we'll just kind of keep chugging along here. And so at present... Our indebtedness here um, is $2 million. At one point, it was $2.6 million. Then we dropped it down to zero, and we did this, we did that. And we've gone up and down, and we've gone up to 2.6. We've gone down to zero a couple times, and at present, we're under $2 million. And why, why is it like that? Because the needs that get brought to our congregation seem limitless, and those, are that, those needs are always our focus. We continue to thrive and grow and change and minister. And um, next week, we're going to tell you again of some new needs, some phenomenal uh, opportunities and challenges that have come our way that's going to involve dozens of congregations, not just ours, but this time. Literally more than 80 churches all across the country that have come to us and said, will you lead us? And so, Wayne, get to the bottom line. What's the campaign about? Well, it's about eliminating debt here, but at the same time helping other churches to step into a story that might be similar to ours. Not to repeat our story, but to how could we resource other congregations to thrive? And so we've approached other capital campaigns this way in the past where we say, okay, we'll raise some funds for First Christian Church, but we're going give to you know, give away a bunch of money at the same time. And so you'll recall a number of years ago we did the Empower campaign and... Um, we said we're going to raise some money from the church and then we're going to raise as much as we could for local social agencies and ministries as well and give it away. And uh, we did that and we, all that money was given in December of last year. Some of you saw the results of what, what happened, the, the responses we got. I want you to just catch a hold of the ministries and the social agencies that were impacted by your giving. Watch the screen. Thank you from Parsons. Thank you from Big Brothers. Thank you for supporting the MAX program. Thank you, Christian Church. Thank you from Growing Strong. For supporting Big Blue Backpacks and the children at Dennis Lab School. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for your generous support. The girls from Prestige would like to thank you for helping us shimmer, sparkle, and shine. Thank you. From all of us at New Life Pregnancy Center, we say thank you. Thank you, First Christian Church. It's a wonderful gesture. We really, really, truly appreciate it. And the kids will as well. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank you from Project Reed. Thank you, thank you from Zadaka. Thank you. Thank you from the Child First Center. Thank you, First Christian Church from Webster Cantrell Hall. Thank you from Old King's Orchard. So you recall that that was the Empower campaign and uh, we literally gave away more than $100,000 in that endeavor to all those different organizations. And I want to thank you for that. 
So in the coming weeks, we're going to take it in a new way. We're going to say, let's raise some money again together. And this campaign will help both First Christian Church and will also, in this case, resource other congregations beyond our local setting. So in the next few weeks, would you prayerfully consider how you might want to participate in the campaign? It's going to run from now, basically from May, through to December of next year. And um, if I could be so both bold and um, I, I hope you hear this in the right light. It's not about us, but on the other hand, there's some places where we need everyone's involvement to meet the needs that are in front of us. And so we're going to need some large gifts. And if you'd like to participate in that, we'd love to talk to you. Okay. And we're going to need some small gifts as well. Your kids maybe could get involved as well. Okay. If you've got little ones, they could think of how could they prayerfully consider being part of this to reach the needs of other people. So we're going to use it for our congregation. We're going to resource other nation, congregations around the nation. And so to kind of get us going on this today for the next few weeks, the commitment weekend will be two weekends from now, okay? Uh, to get us going today, we're going to have a prayer exercise together, and um, it's going to be kind of fun. And I want to tell you what it is uh, it, with this way. So we broke ground on this property in, um, in the fall of 1995. It was a Sunday afternoon. A couple of guys, and myself included, we'd come, we'd come out to the property. Uh, we had four and a half acres, all the houses that were still here. And it's a long story, but the prairie grass at that point was about this tall. And we marked out the boundaries of what would be that 34,000 square foot building that we moved into. And then we took lawnmowers and we mowed the grass from about this height, just down to about that height, just on the perimeter where all the, where all the foundation was going to be. And we'd done that on Saturday. We had church on Sunday. We came out here that afternoon. It was a lovely fall afternoon. And we said to the kids, bring shovels. We're going to turn the dirt over. Because the next day, the bulldozers are coming in. Matter of fact, they were parked over there. And, um, and, and so the kids came out and they dug in the soil and they threw it over their shoulders and everywhere. And then we prayed. And then we walked around the perimeter of that building just in joyful anticipation of what God was going to do. The kids ran like the dickens around and around and around and around. Matter of fact, uh, one of the, somebody from our congregation who's like about 30 now, years old now said, my mom says that I ran around a bunch of times and I don't even remember it. And he said, but it's kind of cool that I did that as a kid and here I am doing it again now because we're going to get you to walk the building today again, all right? And so... Uh, what I'd like to suggest today is that in that same way in which we did that in 1995, uh, yes, this week we, we mowed a path around the building again. And um, you're invited to walk around the building just like we did in 1995. And I'd suggest you make it a celebration like we did. Parents, if you're here today and your kids are in our kids programming, go get them and enjoy the, enjoy the walk. It starts right outside the window. So those who are in the East Auditorium, come through the lobby and go out the West Door in this room. Just go out or come down the stairs, turn right and go out that way. And there'll be cards. We're going to give you some cards that will help you be ready for what, to, what we're going to ask you to do. Because we want you to walk. You'll go around the north side of the building, probably someplace where not, most of you have never been. You walk past the retention pond. And it's going to end for now, for today, when you reach the parking lot. Because last... You, we don't want you walking through the parking lot and kids getting hit or anything, but at the very end when you reach the park, parking, pot, parking lot, if you'd stop and pray there, okay? And we'll, you'll get a prayer card as you step out onto the lawn and you'll be able to say, hey, we're going to do what they did, you know, 22 years ago and we'll see what God does. And um, just asking to pray, see how God might ask you to participate in this campaign, but more importantly, how our church might impact 
uh, our community and other congregations around the country. And so to kind of put a, a seal on that, I, I told you I was going to tell you two stories about fellows named Smith. Joe Smith, my chauffeur in Tulsa, and uh, let me tell you about another guy. His name is Leroy Smith. Leroy was um, part of the life of our church when Leslie and I moved here with our kids in January of 1994. He was, um, he was well into his 80s by then, and uh, he'd been in the church for a very long time. He, he led a Sunday school class that was made up of people all his age. They'd started meeting when they were in their 20s. They'd been together, that class had been together for 60 years. They'd got married, they'd raised their kids and grandkids, and it was this phenomenal uh, group of very mature adults. And um, the, it's fair to say that, you know, we were a small church, less than 150 in those days, and um, he had some clout. Is that the right way to put it? Because he had this class that were the, were the people who had been in the church for all those years, and so what he said kind of went in some ways. And so the, move, the months moved along, 1994, we were growing, and it became apparent the building was no longer going to be able to support the congregation, but I'll tell you, Leroy Smith was not really in favor of a change. And he said, oh, maybe sometime in the future, but not now. Uh, it's not fair to say that he led the charge to th keep things as they were, but he certainly had a voice to that end. And um, oh, there were some strong, we, we didn't argue or, or about any of this, but there were some strong leaders on the other side saying, now's the time to move, and Bryden Carnahan graciously and courageously led the charge for a new building. But we just weren't, I think... If you, can we say, the church emotionally wasn't ready. And uh, Leroy kind of led the part that wasn't ready, if you will. And so, uh, in, in December of that year, December of 94, we said, let's do a big Christmas program and invite the whole community. And we did that. We built a big Christmas tree with um, scaffolding and wood, and we painted it green and put greenery on it and lights. And the choir stood in the, in the Christmas tree, and we had a play in front. We invited the community, and we were stunned the community came. I mean, like hundreds of people came. It was like, and then in January, they came back, and suddenly we were in a problem. We didn't know what to do with all these people, and there wasn't room for everybody, and there was a congregational meeting about what to do, and oh, this is early 1995, and Leroy stands up in the middle of the congregational meeting. I thought, uh-oh, here we go. What's going to happen? And he said, Pastor Wayne, I've changed my mind. He said, Now's the time to move. And I realized this is a catalytic moment where he's leading the charge now to say, all the people my age are going to listen to me. And he says, now's the time to change, and we need to move. As a matter of fact, he said, there are a lot of us here today who are old. And if you don't do it quickly, we'll die before we see it. <laughs> so, we broke ground. We broke ground uh, after that catalytic speech, that speech for a change and risk and adventure. And frankly, that speech in many ways was catalytic, catalytic as to why you are here today. Because we are no longer that church of 150, are we? We're more than 10 times that size. And you're here today because those sorts of decisions were made. And we broke ground, and as we broke ground in the fall of 95, Leroy got cancer. The doctors told us it was terminal. Cement was laid, plumbing was done, the walls went up, and it got to be late winter, early spring, and I knew that Leroy's time was very short. And so, um, well, you know what I did? 
I went to his house and I got a wheelchair. And I brought him out here and we parked right out where the portico was going to be. And at that point, there was no parking lot, just gravel. And do you know how hard it is to wheel a wheelchair on gravel? All right, so he's in the wheelchair and I'm kind of pulling him backwards through the gravel till we get in the building. And then when we got in the building, uh, the electricians were pulling cables through the walls for all the electrical outlets and so forth. And uh, they had work lights set up and the only way they powered those work lights was, was extension cables all over, like dozens upon dozens. And I wanted to see the building and so we'd come to an extension cable. I'd have to push down in the back of the wheelchair and flop the first couple legs over and then come along and pull like this and get into the next. You know what you can imagine, right? We went down this hallway. You could have done in those days, going like about half of where it is now. We went through the... Um, through what was the fellowship hall, is now the lobby, into the kitchen, and that's where they're gonna put that famous dishwasher, and all that sort of stuff. And then, we brought, I brought him in here, we came back through the lobby, and um, I, br I brought him down this aisle, right here. Some of you may have seen us talk about this on Facebook this week. I brought him right to this post, right here. And uh, I, I had the wheelchair in front of me, and we stopped right here, and I didn't say a word. And there was silence for a moment. I, I wanted him to take it all in. And he finally broke the silence. He said, you know, Pastor, months ago I told you that you need to build this so that the old people can see it before they die. And I've got cancer, and now I can die. He died a few weeks later. He did. And uh, we moved in in the fall. His wife Gladys lived for about another decade. She always sat right over there by the window. And I'm mindful that what happened in that moment back at the congregational meeting in 95 changed us. And uh, he wasn't the only one. I mean, I'm, I don't want to make him the hero of the story per se, other than we were a church that said, we'll figure things out. We'll step into the new rivers that are there and we'll, we'll see what God does. So, uh, we're going to conclude this service this way today. There are going to be leaders at the front of each room. If you'd like prayer, we'd invite you to step forward. But there's no music, okay? Because for the rest of the congregation, I'm not even doing you know, a closing prayer. The closing prayer is going to be what you pray as you walk around the building. We got, I got word three, four, five minutes ago uh, from Brian was watching the weather. It's all dry still outside. So uh, what you do is you start out by the window and walk around the back of the building. And the, the benediction today is you, when you get to the parking lot, stop and have a prayer. Grab somebody's hand and say, hey, let's pray about the future of our church. Because you know what? There are some other posts in other congregations around the country that we need to see if we can put in place. And there are other people who um, we need to know if they're going to experience the work of Jesus Christ just like we have. So with that, God's grace and peace go with you this week. God bless you.